0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Norris Theater here in San Francisco. Tremendous town, but horrible, horrible people. San Francisco has so many things going for it. At the moment, I can't think of any of them. It's amazing. Anything gets done in this town. These are the laziest people I've ever met. In 2020, San Francisco will go for Trump. Believe me. up there wow absolutely incredible is this incredible tremendous I'm so happy to be here someplace this is someplace I'm so happy you came out to see me for my never-ending victory tour and rally so incredible so incredible You know, my secret service detail told me that there's over 25,000 people here tonight. 10,000 people outside who couldn't get in because the place is packed. But you know, the press, the press, terrible people, the press, aren't they horrible? Horrible people, scum, really are, they really are. They're going to say this is some theater in San Francisco and it's half full. Horrible, horrible. Now, I've been very, very busy touring. I went to China. It's incredible, incredible place, China. The people love me there. They're so tiny. They're so tiny. They make my hands look very, very big. I met Xing Xiangping or whatever his name is, and his lovely wife. His name has an X in it. Why would you put an X in your kid's name? I never understand that. Shinzo Abe had hats made for me. Did you see the hats? So great. Just wonderful people. I went to Vietnam. I went to Vietnam. And guess what? I wasn't captured. Did you see that? I wasn't captured. I, wasn't ca- I left a free man. I left a free man. Went to South Korea. Very nice place. Great people. Good televisions, too, by the way. But we've been doing such amazing things in the government. We've gotten so much done. So fast. So fast. We're getting rid of the EPA. That's going to go. We're going to take that apart. Thank you. Thank you so much. They like that. We're going to get clean coal. Clean coal. It's great. It's great. We take the coal out of the ground. We wash it and we burn it. It's so incredible. Just scrub it right up. It burns so well. Fracking. Fracking great. I don't know what it is. I just love saying fracking. It's so incredible. but I want to do a quick poll. I want to do a quick poll. You know the next election's right around the corner. Now by a round of applause. who here, this is the last election, the last election. who here would have voted for crooked Hillary Clinton by a round of applause. fantastic nobody could hear a pin drop it was incredible now who here will vote for me again in 2020 by a round of applause everybody i love it i love it so incredible oh by the way are there any protesters here tonight any protesters just let me know couple one or two trump people beat the shit out of them i'll pay your legal fees But, you know, this town, it's, you know, we're going to build a wall around this town. We are going to build a wall around San Francisco and make Oakland pay for it. Because, frankly, that place is a dump, am I right? Terrible, terrible. Thank you. Oakland's in the house. And we have a lot going on. Ivanka's husband, Jared, is that kid something else? What a smart kid. I've never heard him speak, but supposedly he's really... I don't know how that's possible. He's never spoken to me. Now, we've got a lot to cover tonight, but I just want to say to the people of Slate and Trumpcast, I want to thank them for giving me my $5 million presidential speaking fee. But I don't need it. I don't need it. I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm very, very rich. You guys know this. You know, not as rich as Putin. But, you know. but I'm going to donate that money, that $5 million, to my favorite charity, Billionaires Without Borders. It makes it possible for billionaires and high-end millionaires, you see that? I'm very inclusive. It makes it possible for billionaires and high end millionaires to travel the world and never have to come in contact with poor or unattractive people. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to bring on the people from Trump Cast right now. Are you ready? <laughs> and you know why I love Trump Cast? Because it's all about me. It's all about me. Every episode, my name's in it. So, first up, we have Jamel Bowie. Jamel, come on out here. Tremendous. Virginia Heffernan. Virginia. Wow, she's attractive. And that guy, Jacob Weisberg. Give him a nice round of applause. You guys, do what you have to do. I need to get some tweets out, if you know what I'm talking about. Thank you.
1: And this is the point at which we say, hello and welcome to Trumpcast. The show about the man who skipped out early on the East Asia summit, because it was running late, and he'd already gotten so much done.
2: <laughs> Donald Trump. I'm trying to do it like he does. Nicely done.
1: <laughs> I'm Jacob Weisberg.
2: I'm Virginia Heffernan.
1: I'm Jamel Bowie. And we are so excited to be here in San Francisco. This is a fantastic crowd. There was a... Uh, a uh, I follow the podcasting world very closely, and there was a study today that showed up in my inbox about the uh, podcasting super listeners. I think you guys are the super listeners. The super listeners get a lot of their information from podcasts, but more to the point, they trust the information they get from podcasts more than any other medium. Terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> it was really interesting. They don't, they don't trust cable news. They trust national newspapers, but they trust podcasts most and of all.
2: One thing that is, I think is great about podcasts that you pointed out is our president does not listen to podcasts. And so it's, we're in like a Sami's dot, we can say what we want. We're among friends. Except for that guy. Except for that guy.
1: This is a safe space for us, and it's going to be a great show tonight. We have a special guest who's going to be coming out in a little bit. We're going to be joined by Al Letson of, of the show Reveal. He's a, he's a writer, he's a journalist, he was a hero this summer in Berkeley when, when he stepped in to protect a, I don't know if we can say he was a Nazi, he might have been a Nazi, um, but it was an amazing story. Al's going to join us in a little bit. But first, you know, since I'm out here in the Bay Area for a couple of days, I uh, went over to see a tech company today, I went over to SurveyMonkey. Survey Monkey, their, their head pollster, it's a guy called uh, John Cohen, who used to be the head of polling for the Washington Post. And uh, he said, you want me to do a survey for the show tonight? And I said, tonight you can do it that fast? And he said, yeah, it's no problem. We have millions of people responding all the time. We'll just stick a question in. So I said, why don't we ask about Roy Moore? Why don't we see who believes Roy Moore <laughs> and who thinks he should drop out? And this, I'm just going to give you the results, because he just sent them to me an hour ago. And it's it's quite fascinating. We asked the question, as you know, Roy Moore has denied these accusations. Who do you believe more on the issue? And overall, 69% of 1,300 people they polled believe the women who made the accusations. And only 19% believe Roy Moore. But wait, get this. Among Republicans... 47% 47% believe Roy Moore, only 40% believe the women, and among Republican men, and this is not in Alabama, this is in the country, 51% believe Roy Moore, and only 42% believe the women. And then, wait, this is interesting, and I don't think we've, I haven't seen this level of detail in, in the surveys about this. When we asked, should Roy Moore drop out of the Alabama Senate race, overall, 64%, people said yes, 26% no, but the divide gets deeper, of course, when you look at Republicans and when you look at men, 60% of Republican men don't want him to drop out, but only 30% of Republican women think he should stay in. So even among Republicans, it's a big divo- divide on Roy Moore.
3: You know, I know this is not how the SurveyMonkey surveys work, but in my head, I just imagine someone clicking through, you know, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? <laughs> and then what do you think about the women who accuse Roy yeah, Moore exactly. of <laughs> sexual Right, because they're assault. like, we're asking millions of people all the
2: time. Yeah, exactly. And, and some people didn't answer. So. Yeah.
1: But what, um, do, what, do you, what do you make of that, Virginia? What do you make of this episode? I mean, we've had... Uh, You know, with, with sexual harassment and sexual abuse in this country, we had a huge moment with the Access Hollywood and everything we found out about Donald Trump, and it was incredibly depressing and discouraging because it seemed that people didn't care, and he was elected president anyway. We had a moment with Harvey Weinstein, we're still in that moment, that seems to send the opposite message. It's just sent shockwaves through our industry, through the media, through Hollywood. Uh, we're living through a a kind of earthquake about it. Is Roy Moore another moment like that and what what is it going to mean?
2: I think it was watching from, um, well I think I told you guys backstage, but a friend of mine was saying recently that she thought that the moment we normalized Donald Trump's hair, and you, go with me here, the moment we decided that that was an admissible hairstyle, like that he was sort of like, uh, like that he passed that? the threshold. I mean, you know, what maybe on The Apprentice, but at some point you started to say that this like very strange hair belonged in whatever, and then it was like. We opened ourselves up. Then it was, uh, you know, all bets were off. We might start accepting anything. And we kept, we've kept thinking there's some kind of like no ultra, like you can't go further than Access Hollywood or you can't go further than, you know, evidence of obstruction of justice or collusion. Um, and he keeps going. F- going past it. But at the same time, we have a narrative that there's some kind of base that will accept anything. So they accepted Sandy Hook without saying, you know, advocating for greater gun control. And they accepted in this case, um, they, they might accept Um, someone who has, you know, gone manifestly too far in every moral code, this guy Roy Moore. There's no, there's no like special subset of, um, you know, Southern honor that's reserved for men who rape teenagers. There's just like, there's no way to justify it. Um, So I don't, but I, what I, in some ways I think the base is a fiction that we tell ourselves about people that will do anything, that will support anyone. I mean, we, you, the room actively hissed at the idea that someone would believe Roy Moore over his accusers. That, like, we've gotten into this idea that there, there's something very exciting about the base because they, you know, they're, they're so punk, they'll do anything. And I think <laughs> on a survey like this, I'm not sure that what they're saying is... I believe Roy Moore's denials of the charges that he, like, trolled trolled malls looking for teenagers, I think they're saying something else. They're saying, like, which is the punk vote? Which is the, like, I'll do anything part of the survey? And, you know, the I'll support Trump, or I I think Russia's fake news, or I don't believe the right thing I'm supposed to believe. I know I'm supposed to believe the women, but I don't.
1: Um, But that's it. I mean, Jamel, what are they saying? Because, I mean, on the one hand, if they were saying we forgive Roy Moore. It was a long time ago. I would disagree with that because it just seems to me that th- there's, there's nothing worse than the sexual abuse of children. There's certain things you never get forgiven for. But if people said, we want to forgive him and elect him anyway, I can accept that. But they're not saying that. They're saying, we don't believe this evidence. Right. Right. And it's not, it's, the evidence isn't iffy now. I mean, it's
3: conclusive. <laughs> I mean, with the, the most recent accuser, she said, you know, Roy Moore signed my yearbook, which, by the way, I, I, you know, what, what person who isn't 18 is signing yearbooks? Yeah, 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 that's, yeah, that, that, if nothing, else, you're if like, that's nothing else. that's an impeachable a warning, offense. That's a warning, <laughs> yes. sign. If, if I came home to my wife and said, hey, I signed some teenage girls yearbook, she'd be like, <laughs> right, you're out. well, I'm going to call the <laughs> yeah. cops now. Like, that's, <laughs> that's how that works. Um. So I think Virginia's right that to a certain extent, I think this is the, I will say anything like, you know, this question doesn't matter. I'm going to say the thing that's most transgressive effect. I think you saw that uh, with the surveys over the course of Obama's presidency. You know, is Barack Obama a Muslim? Was he born in the United States? Obviously, some portion of the people who said yes to that, uh, yes, he was a Muslim, yes, he, he was not born in the United States, really believed it. Uh, but I think some portion of the people who, who, who said yes to the questions or agreed that uh, or said that Obama was a Muslim uh, were doing it just to spite the question or spite the notion that they shouldn't hold those beliefs.
1: It's transgressive behavior, as right. so Virginia was
3: saying. Right, yeah. right. So I think I think that's an element of it. Um, but I also think there's this thing that's happening where outside of the world of political partisanship, I think people... Can hear an accusation and they believe it. Uh, they hear accusations against Weinstein and they believe it. They hear them against Louis C.K. and they believe it. But once you once it becomes a part of political partisanship, then that warps people's ability to have um, a reasonable opinion about this. And so, if Roy Moore were just some guy, right, yeah. who wasn't running for office, and this came out, I think a lot of people saying they don't believe the women would believe the women, but because it's tied, not just to Moore himself, but to the Republican party, to how uh, people who support Roy Moore think about themselves. They don't think about themselves as people who would support someone who molests children. So obviously the charges must be false. Um, that's, That's what I think is, it leads to results like the one we see in the survey, um, uh, where or people, you know, don't believe the women. Although, again, I do want to say there are probably some of those respondents who 100% just don't believe the women. I, I got a, this is e- extremely anecdotal. Um, but I got an email in my inbox yesterday morning uh, that was sent at 3.25 a.m. <laughs> and it was chastising me for suggesting, chastising me for the unrealistic moral code of not trying to, uh, groom teenagers to have sex with, <laughs> oh. so you know, like
2: uh, uh, right, it's, like some
1: people just are are terrible.
3: Let he is without sin. <laughs> like,
2: how, who hasn't groomed right. a teenager? So, but uh, you, but, yeah. this
1: is, but to this point about the about the double standard, did we and presumably a lot of people in the audience here have a double standard about Bill Clinton? I mean, I've been kind of going back through that episode and asking myself whether. I applied the standard to Bill Clinton that I'm now applying to Roy Moore and Donald Trump and, and everyone else. And the honest answer is no. I mean, I certainly, I believed Paula Jones. I believe Kath, Kathleen Willey. I think the Juanita Broderick story is, a, I'm just not sure about that for various reasons. But in general, we knew Bill Clinton was a sexual I didn't have any doubt about that. There was no kind of, like, epistemic issue, right. um, to use the currently fashionable term. But at the same time, I thought it was ridiculous to talk about impeachment. I, you know, dismissed the larger importance. Of, I mean, I was very angry at him for screwing up in this stupid way. But I sort of thought, well, that's his business. I think we'd look at it really differently now, wouldn't we? Yeah. I think that's absolutely the case. I mean... <laughs>
2: <laughs> but one thing that's been ingenious about the, like, ritual now crucifixion of all these male figures at the, like, late stage career, starting with Megan Toohey and Jody Cantor's investigative piece, but also character assassination of Harvey about Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein yeah. um, his, you know... His obituary will never be the same it 'll be like Harvey Weinstein, who like spent a life serially abusing and assaulting women da, 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 produced movies like paragraph five right <laughs> um, and the same is true for some of these other lions that we you know i don 't think we 'll soon forget Louis C K and so on. So we now know what it 's like to take down a figure who Har- and harvey weinstein's incidentally on the left, and that while the New York Times is completely ass- you know, obsessed with. Trump, and the front and center. But how are we ever going to make something stick? You take down this peripheral figure on the left who, like, everybody's happy to let go. You know, we're not going to let them do that to Obama um, because there are never any flies on Obama anyway. I wasn't suggesting. But, um, but but it's proxy and practice for what it's like to take down, I think, figures on the, on, on the right. We didn't... There wasn't the same kind of expose associated with the O'Reilly story, associated with Roger Ailes. They kind of we didn't it wasn't as such a like sound and light show as the thing with with harvey weinstein, and I really do think we're gearing up to um you know we're gearing up to maybe relitigate some of the Clinton stuff but also to see what it might be like to tell donald trump's story completely differently like was the Trump organization just a money laundering you know money laundering organization and has trump like serially abused? Both the women and the men who've worked for him, sometimes in criminal ways. And, you know, his obituary would look very, very different if he were impeached um, or if these charges stuck than, um, than it would, you know, to, if he died today. Trump is saying Trump has. that he's. I want him yeah. to die today. I mean, I want him to live a healthy, happy life, but, you know, just, just this is counterfactual. You did not say <laughs> yeah, that. Exactly, yeah. right. Um, but
1: t- Trump has at least one accuser who's trying to get into court to not relitigate it, but yeah. to litigate right. it right, right. now. Yeah. I mean, do you think we could be going back there? Do you think this, it's not over for Donald Trump?
3: So uh, Rebecca Traster at uh, uh, New York Magazine had a really great piece in the immediate aftermath of the Weinstein um, uh, expose making the point that all of this is tied to the to the power of the perpetrator in particular. Weinstein at this point is still a somewhat powerful person in Hollywood, but he isn't who he once was. Right, right. And that diminished power opened him up to um, uh, these accusations actually being taken seriously and litigated. The same is true of Bill Clinton, who has not been, uh, who's not stood for office in almost 20 years, or in 20 years period, and uh, for as much as he is an in-demand speaker, and a, a presence on the campaign trail just isn't the figure he once was. With Trump, this is this is sort of why I'm not sure that there will be a relitigation or a litigation of the accusations against Trump, because he's still he's still president of the United States, mm-hmm. um, and that 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 frankly buys him a level of immunity from these kinds of questions. Now, if it's if it's the summer of two thousand twenty or that's how you say that. Twenty twenty. Um, if it's that summer and he has an approval rating of you know thirty percent, twenty five percent, and it looks like he's going to lose, it's a little different. I think you might you may see something, uh, but at the moment, I don't. I, I think what will happen is we will begin. Delving in to these accusations and histories with other men, and kind of the Trump question will just kind of remain in the background. Everyone will know what's there, right? Everyone? And also,
2: we'll, right. we'll know that we that these are that these are dress rehearsals. Like that, maybe one day, if right, right. we play the long game, we'll. Be able to get him. Also, it's possible that that um, if Mueller enjoys the prosecutorial overreach that we're all hoping for, that he'll stumble on just like the Whitewater investigation stumbled on Paula Jones and got the money. You know, moment of perjury um, is is it couldn't it could be possible that Mueller could turn up some of the, the hush money paid to women or um, something along those lines. Uh, but we've got it. He's. <laughs> there's a, there's a plenty of other stuff.
3: I'll say again, though, that I think the the partisanship question here is, like, really important. Yeah. Because, I mean, uh, frankly, with Donald Trump in particular, I mean, obviously the guy harassed women, right? Like, it's not even really, you know, it, right. even even before the accusations last year, it was, like, obviously Donald Trump harassed women. At, at the least harassed women, right? right? Like, so... You know, if he were just a guy, if he were just some sort of fading celebrity, then there would have been no problem um, going after him. But as soon as he got wrapped up in this matrix of partisanship, then, you know, yeah. then there's an interest for one of the two major parties to defend him. And so, I, I, yeah. I mean, I kind of hope, you know, it, it's important, it would be important to break this, right? To sort of establish a, a norm. That if a candidate is accused of is credibly accused of sexual abuse of sexual assault, then everyone kind of just kind of like you know withdraws their support. That this 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 goes past partisan competition. You just you don't tolerate it. Um, and so in that regard, it would be I think it would be good to see uh, a really intense sort of reevaluation of Bill Clinton. Right? I mean, it's too late for uh, doing anything when he was actually influential, but having that kind of on the board would be helpful in at least beginning to establish this norm, so mm-hmm. that in the future if another presidential nominee, if, if a dozen women come out and say, yeah, that dude that dude sexually assaulted me, um, that there is no, that we all kind of recognize that partisanship
1: doesn't matter here, that's unacceptable. Yeah, I think it's gotten a lot less survivable in the last you know, Sever, several weeks.
2: We're acting like, oh, there are people who support Roy Moore and believe him, and that's terrible. I mean, we wouldn't have had this conversation. Like, you know, it took forever with John Edwards. We forgave Anthony Weiner. Like, we've, like...
3: Did we, we forgive Anthony
2: Weiner, though? I mean, the first time. He, he ran was going for to mayor jail. after. No, no, no. Yeah, I just but, like, mean. did
3: you see that documentary, though? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: he was... Uh, he, who are, he, who he
3: ran was for mayor. A
1: little unforgiven. We got we to gotta wrap, yep. wrap this up. But last question. Jamel, who's going to be the next U.S. senator from Alabama? <laughs> no one are
4: no not remember saying just it, in the, what,
2: what, light, it what, in the bright light. In the Say the thing you said back there.
3: Okay, so if I, if I were flipping a coin right now, and I only could flip one coin, I've got one actually. <laughs> then I would say Roy Moore probably wins.
2: Wait, flipping coins is not about predictions.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Just let me, let, me, let me complete this thought. <laughs> okay. And now I'm not even going to complete this, this analogy just because you're right. Um, but uh, I don't know. Like, there's, just, there's, honestly, there's honestly a lot of variables at work that make it difficult, right? Because there has been a swing in the race. Even the most favorable more polls, one came out today that had more up 40, 43. Previously, it had more up by 11, uh, 11 points. So there's a solid five-point swing there at least. And that swing has been replicated through all the polling. So it's a kind of question of where do you, where do you begin your baseline? Do you begin your baseline with a double-digit more win or like a, like a close single-digit more win? Um, and if it's a close single-digit, then Jones is, is likely ahead at this point. And it kind of just it, it honestly depends on how many white Republican Alabama voters just decide not to show up. To say, like, I can't pull a lever for a Democrat, but can't pull a lever for a guy who molest kids. Depending on how how likely you think that happens should determine how likely you think more wins or not. All
1: right, that's it for our first topic.
0: Well, we're going to bring someone else out right now. You know him. You love him. Al Letson. Al, come on out here. <clears throat> Let me see you, uh...
1: Al, we're happy to have you here. You know, when, uh, I think you probably uh, told this story more times than you want to, but <laughs> I, I haven't had a chance to talk to you about it. You know, when I, when I read about what happened in Berkeley in August, I just thought, I mean, I just got choked up reading it because you reacted not like a journalist who was just there to watch not like a guy who had a you know political point of view, but you just Like saw, an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> like an idiot. You saw somebody getting hurt and you stepped, you stepped in. And uh, it was amazing. But I just, like, what, what was going on that day?
5: You know, I have thought about this a lot. And I think there's there's a lot of uh, different rationalizations that I could put on it. But the truth of the matter is, is I, I used to be a flight attendant. I was a flight attendant for about almost eight, eight nine years. Um... And being a flight attendant, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, when you get on a plane, you tend to think about being on a, a flight attendant as a person that brings you your Coke and your pretzels, and, and that's all good. Uh, but really, uh, uh, that's the difference between a, a flight attendant and a stewardess is that a flight attendant is there to save your ass. Um, so they, we spend a lot of time, like, training. Uh, and I felt like in that situation in Berkeley, like, all that flight attendant training just kicked in. And, and the first thing you're supposed to do as a flight attendant is assess the situation. Um, and so I assessed, I, I, I saw that, you know, coming from one direction was, you know, a whole gang of, of people who were going to beat this guy up. Um, I looked and saw the police weren't doing anything. I looked and saw that um, the situation was just going to get worse. And, uh, and then as a flight attendant, the next thing you're taught is you, you assess and then you move, you, you, you take action. Uh, and I found myself running over there and getting on top of him without even really thinking about it. Once I was on top of him, then it hit me like, oh, shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were beating
1: him with sticks. Yeah, and they you were going were, at you it. You put your body between the yeah. sticks and him.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it was, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and to be honest, um, the minute I got on top of him, like, it seemed to kind of break the spell. I mean, there was a lot of people that were still hollering at him and, and you know, trying to punch him. Um, but they didn't really hit me all that much. I mean, I got hit like once or twice, and they were really—you could—I could feel like they were pulling their blows. Um, yeah, when I got on top of him, the first thought that came to my mind was to get my arm under his head because uh, I didn't want his head to hit the ground. Uh, and then the second thought was, "Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh shit!" Um, was
2: "Oh shit!" you're going to be hit, or "Oh shit!" he's oh shit a Nazi that I'm going to
5: die? Like okay, you know, yeah, 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 Before it happened, like I thought he was going to die. And then I got uh, on top of him and thought I was going to die. Wow. <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, so it was intense. So what was it? Did, did that Nazi send you a thank you note? You know, uh-huh. I I wouldn't call him a Nazi. He tried. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> I wouldn't call him a Nazi. Nazi. I would say that he's... I would say that he's on the spectrum,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but Nuss- not exactly. nassi Yeah, Nassi-curious. Yeah. Yeah. Nuss- 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Asperger's. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, 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 I'm just, he's there, you I'm just, know? Ex- I'm,
3: just, I'm, just, hey, I'm just experimenting with that. Yeah, just trying to see what that looks like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like,
5: it may not be a good fit for me. Um, What's his name? Uh, Keith Campbell. Uh, Keith, Keith Campbell. And Keith reached out to me on on Twitter. Um, but I was really clear that I wanted to make sure that I controlled my own narrative. Um, And so I was not going to uh, have a kumbaya moment with him on Twitter or Tucker Carlson kept asking me to come on and I wasn't interested in that either. Um, Because I knew what would happen is that... (laughs) Thank you. Um, I I think the thing that, that frustrates me about one of the things that frustrates me about America is that when we talk about racial issues, uh, it's always on African-Americans on black people to forgive and to love and to be blah, 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 all this stuff. And, um, I'm just, I'm tired of that narrative. Like I absolutely, uh, you know, I saved him because I saw his humanity, but I'm also, we're not going to go to Denny's and, uh, and hang out, you know, (laughs) and we're not going to hug it out. Um, You know, I I think that um, after it happened, uh, a friend of mine who was a journalist was there, a a radio journalist with uh, KQED, uh, or excuse me, KLW. And uh, she came up and asked me, because she didn't see what happened, she just saw me looking dazed. And uh, my response to her was, she was like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I told her what happened, and all I could say is like, oh my God, I did not want to be a part of the story. I don't want to be a part of the story. Um, but I was, and so that was that, but then after that was all over with, then it was about being a journalist, and so for me, it was about holding Keith accountable for the things that he'd said and the things that he'd done.
1: Yeah. But also, I I like, you know, one of the sort of moral dilemmas journalists deal with all the time is this sort of bystander problem. Like, in a way, you're supposed to, you're sort of trained to not really be there. Because if you were to start intervening, you couldn't be a good journalist. And you're sort of taught that when you're covering events, including wars and disasters, you know, you're not supposed to act like a human being. Yeah, And I like your version of it better.
5: Well, mm. you know, I, I think prior to what happened uh, in Berkeley, I may have agreed with, with that idea. But, you know, I think that there, there are things that, like, I really hold dear to me, um, just some ideas that, that have stuck to me that I can't seem to shake. Uh, and one of those is uh, uh, Father Greg Boyle. Uh, he was just on Terry Gross like the other day. Um, but I heard Father mm-hmm. Greg Boyle like many, many years ago talking about uh, what, you know, his philosophy. And one of the things that he said was he wanted to live like the truth is true and go where love has not yet arrived. And um, you know, I, I, was, I was listening to Terry Gross. I was driving my car and I heard it and I just burst out into tears. I had to pull over because it like hit me so hard. And it's been this thing that like just kind of sticks with me. And, and sometimes I don't know what the truth is. I don't know. Um, I mean, we live in this world where you're constantly asking yourself like what's true, what's not true. Uh, But I know the North Star for me is that, like, I want to see everybody's humanity, even if they can't see mine. Because it doesn't matter if they can't see mine. What matters to me is that I see theirs. You know, that's how I I judge and value myself at the end of the day. Um, So, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, it was crazy and ridiculous. And if given the exact same circumstances... I'd probably do it again. I, I, I don't suggest it for other journalists, and I don't, uh, I don't, I don't judge anybody by my ruler, right? Like, uh, several friends of mine were there. Uh, they actually filmed it, didn't realize it was me, because they were like, who's that idiot? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I, I think that they did what felt right for them, and I don't have any, um, any feelings either way about, like, them just filming and not taking part of it. I just know for me... Um, If it had been a one-on-one fight, I would have stayed out of it. But it was like him versus like six other people, you know.
2: How did the people who were hitting him and hitting you respond to you after the fact?
5: Oh, they weren't happy. (laughs) Uh, They were were not happy It must
2: have been so confounding.
5: Yeah, it was. I, I mean, you know, so we live in this world where... You can be on Twitter and anybody can tweet at you if, if it's yeah, yeah, unprotected. Yeah. So uh, I realized like there was a day where I felt so bad because I, I felt like I was getting picked on by all of Antifa. And there were yeah. black people who were tweeting me, calling me a coon and all sorts of crazy stuff. And then I realized, oh, it's just three people.
4: <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. It's yeah. just like three guys. Like
5: it's not the whole world. Right, right, you right. You know, um so yeah, but I mean I've heard I've I've heard uh a lot of people uh have had, you know, I've I've talked to some of my friends, like uh, one of my friends uh on Facebook he was we were talking, we're buddies. I mean he's my boy, and he was like, nah, bruh, I wouldn't have done it. You know? <laughs> and I'm not mad at him, like I get it. It's all good, you know? But 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 for me, that was what felt right.
1: So I'm gonna, yep. you sort of move this in a slightly more political direction. But I mean, we we've grown up in a violent society, but we haven't grown up in a politically violent society, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Berkeley might be a little bit of an exception, but in general, yeah. we, there we was have like dead, a, no We haven't
5: experienced political. I've covered political events my whole career, and I'm. I, I seen, would I would I would disagree with you in the sense that like. As an African American who grew up in the South, like all the violence that I was uh, that that I saw that was around me, that was political violence. Yeah, I didn't
1: phrase that right. Yeah, absolutely. I meant that we haven't had violence of political events, right? I mean, we have campaigns, elections, political. Protestant. I mean, we, 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 yeah. we've had
5: them in, like, little eruptions here yeah. and there, but not... But I, we're getting a lot more saying. of it now. Right, right, point. right.
1: And the question is, are we moving to become a more violent political culture? And the threats of violence around the things that could happen politically. So, you know, we wanted to talk in this section a little bit about impeachment and the Democrats. And one of the things that's a backdrop to this is the question of why the Democrats aren't pushing impeachment harder right now. And one of the possibilities is that this implicit threat of violence, which has actually been a little bit of an explicit threat from some of the Trump people, that if you go there, there will be violence, is something that we haven't experienced before. So, yeah. <laughs> it's, t- so it's tough. Um,
3: because I, I, I do want to spend some time on this question of political violence and like what is novel and what isn't. and I, I, So I do feel like there's something novel about the present period. I do think that's the case, but I can't quite figure out how it's novel because it, you know, if you go back, uh, uh, if you go back 120 years, 130 years, um, there was active violence during elections, during political events organized by representatives of political parties. Um, And so one, you know, you had uh, a guy like uh, Ben Tillman of South Carolina, governor, later senator, uh, who as just like a Democratic Party hack in the 1870s, like, you know, led campaigns of violence against black voters in South Carolina. His nickname was
1: Pitchfork, Ben Pitchfork Tillman. Um, Jamel's doing a fantastic podcast on reconstruction right now for Slate Plus members and uh, that's he knows a lot about this This, this,
3: this, wasn't, this wasn't the backdoor plug. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I have you, of course. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like, so like there, there, there is, there is this, this history of political violence, not both sort of happening from the institutional level, happening in sort of the ever-present uh, uh, level that, the, that defined and defines um, African-American in the South relationship to the political system. Um, uh, and then we have this current period, which again is, is novel, and maybe it 's just novel in the sense that the politi- that the, the country 's politics are so much more nationalized than they 've ever been, mm. um, and that, that fact gives any uh, hint of political violence that comes from an organized or institutional space place a different tenor than it did when politics were still like hyper local. Um, when there was like plausible deny, real plausible deniability throughout the system. That said, I think you're right that Democrats are really hesitant to talk about impeachment. I think they don't want to talk about it because they themselves have... It's within the memory of senior Democratic Party leaders of what happened the last time There is the real pursuit of impeachment against the president. And it was that Democrats in 1998 picked up seats in the Senate and the House, which wasn't supposed to happen.
1: Impeachment backfired in their favor. But are they just fighting the last war? I mean, why why should they think or not think that that same thing would happen again, that if they pushed impeachment harder, that uh, swing voters would say, that's ridiculous. We're going to stick by this guy because you're going so over the top. Um,
3: I mean, I, th- I think I think I think what I think what they're worried about is just that everyone's partisan sort of affiliation would kick in, and you know, Republicans, and of course, any successful impeachment is going to have to have Republican support, um, and so Republicans are going to are going to reject the entire project, and Republican voters will reject the entire project, uh, and there's just there's no reason to begin to sort of spend political capital on that particular thing. I think this presents like a legit problem. And it, it, a lot of political scientists and observers have noted that extreme polarization is having these crazy distortion effects from the way everything's supposed to work. I think this is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that if, if things are so partisan and so polarized that obvious examples of misconduct... Um, aren't enough to trigger some kind of response and that everyone's afraid of triggering it or attempting to trigger it because it, will, it would likely backfire, then essentially the accountability mechanism doesn't actually exist. Um, and I don't know how... I think Democrats are genuinely caught in the dilemma of not knowing what to do about a political world where the president... I mean, I mean, let's, let's just like lay it out. Not only has, is the president likely... You know, potentially party to a scheme to assist a foreign government in exchange for helping him get elected. Bracket, but our our, our third topic. Our third we'll topic. Be we'll be back. Okay. We'll get back to that. But is actively siphoning the public funds into his own pocket. Just mm-hmm. like it's a thing he does that we've all accepted. Like, oh yeah, yeah, Trump's on his golf course again, making. U.S. government agents buy rooms in his uh, his fancy right. estate Amazing. and just kind of shoveling money. I mean, if Trump, if Trump
1: was not a billionaire when this all began, he will be a billionaire when it ends. Did you see the wedding promotion, by the way, at the Trump golf course? I did not. Oh, the, yeah. the pamphlet says, we can't promise the president will come to your wedding, <laughs> but he might come. And if he comes make sure you're respectful of his time and don't get him to pose for too many photos. Your wedding, but they're right. essentially selling the possibility of right, yeah. the president showing show up, up at your time, wedding. It's right. part of the reason the book, if, golf course.
5: If I'm a Democrat, something that would be running through my head right now is the idea of uh, replacing Trump with Mike Pence. Um, yes. I mean, Pence would probably <laughs> be able <laughs> to get his legislation through better than Donald Trump would. So right now, like, you, you've got a Trump administration that, you know, by, by all means is, is inept. They're not able to get their legislative ideas through. But you get Mike Pence, who, you know, some people would say is scarier than Trump because he's a true believer in a lot of the things that he says, right? The things that we know that, like, Trump doesn't actually really believe in, he just says because that's going to bring in voters, right? But, but, but Pence is a true believer. So if you have somebody like Pence who has experience working with Congress, uh, you could see a lot of the things that Trump actually wants to get done actually happen under Pence. So if I'm a Democrat, I think you play opposition and then you look to build um, in, in the incoming election. Yeah, but doesn't, yeah.
1: A, doesn't a, I mean, out here, there's a, there's a left base. Don't they, aren't they going to demand impeachment? I mean, in the, in the upcoming, in the uh, run-up so. to the midterm election, aren't they going to say, we got to get this guy out of office? It de-
5: uh, well, it depends. I think that, one, like, what, what happens in the midterm election really depends, I think, on, on how people are going to look at it. But also, I think that, on a whole, what uh, the presidency of Trump has taught us is that Americans are really good with order. They don't want to shake stuff up. They don't, like, we're okay with watching all of these really bad things happening and not actually, like, pushing to do some real change. I mean, as a, a African American in America, like, you could see that throughout the history, that, like, we are much more concerned with the idea of law and order than we are about justice, right? And so I think that what we see in the Trump administration is that the American people, like, on a whole, like, we get upset about it, and we don't like it, and we want to march or whatever, but, like, actually going and, and, and doing what needs to be done to make change, like hasn't really happened yet.
3: I, mean, I, I think there's a way to split the difference here um, between being afraid of alienating sort of the moderate suburban voters that Democrats are hoping on to, to win majorities, but then also holding Trump accountable. And that is, you know, if Dems take the House, especially, but if they take either, either chamber, they'll all of a sudden be gifted with the, the, the subpoena powers of the United right. States Congress.
1: Everything changes. Everything Everything. everything. Changes.
3: You, you, don't, you don't necessarily have to have impeachment. You can just have Like, I'll put it this way. Before the election... Republican lawmakers were openly saying, "Yeah, we're just going to investigate Hillary Clinton out the out the wazoo, right? right? Like, you know, we'll just make up stuff to investigate her because like we can do that. It, it just so happens, funny that, they're doing it anyway. Yeah, I mean, right. yeah, it's true. They're they are. They, oh, they just they can't won't. quit her. Yeah, but um, if it works,
5: <laughs> yeah. you know, like uh, the hits keep coming. Uh, uh, yeah.
3: <laughs> it's like playing. It's like playing free bird. You just gotta they, do it. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Everybody loves it. Everybody loves it. Uh, but." Democrats will have the advantage of having a president in office who legitimate. I mean, who 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 there are there is a legitimate constitutional question at issue, legitimate uh, uh, misdeeds happening. I mean, Virginia kind of mentioned this earlier, but we all saw the president tell Lester Holt on national television that he fired James Comey because of the Russia investigation. Like, I. I like. I saw that with my own eyes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I saw Lester Holt like kind of, kind of almost like look at the look by at the, the way, camera. That
2: was, yeah,
4: yeah. right? Like, 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 way. like, what? yeah, totally.
2: Yeah. So, wait, yeah. So that is, by the way, so that was worth a re-watching <laughs> right. because he's also anyway. I just think Lester Holt. You know, Lester Holt for. He can save the Democratic Party. I mean, he did, that was an amazing move, Jiu-Jitsu move, and it's worth watching over and over again. Also, not to mention... The conversation is originally about his investigation of voter fraud, right. which we now know WikiLeaks was gunning for Don Jr. to do. So he's still, he's like taking Russian marching orders. Right. Right. Or yeah. hang on, you're getting conversation. Topic. Yeah. I know, but <laughs> still. We got to wrap it, this the up. But, up. The point, the but, but we just sat so there and watched that, right. which is and what the you're point saying. Is
3: that there's, there's, there's lots of fodder for legitimate investigations. And it's entirely plausible for Democrats not to pursue impeachment, but just to kind of Pursue these investigations, not even in a sensational way, just like in a methodical, a methodical, honest way. Like these are leg- these are questions we have to answer. This is potential wrongdoing. And we're going to follow it to its conclusion. All right.
1: Thank yeah. you. That's it for the la- That's it for a second topic. Al, do you want to stay and talk about Russia? I'd like having you here. You weren't. you are Sure. That's yeah. good. Just stick around. You don't need enough yeah. to. You were not yeah. warned. Um, but. Uh, I want to continue the conversation because that's where we're moving right into it is all the stuff that's going on with Russia. And I think, you know, I spend so much time following this, from Virginia and Jamel, you guys spend so much time following this. I have a really hard time wrapping my head around it because it's just day. By day, there is, there is stuff that is very hard to put in context and relate to everything else. I mean, just in the last, I don't know, 48 hours, we have this story about um, uh, Don Jr. and Julian Assange slipping into the DMs. Slipping
2: into the DMs, um, the back room.
1: We have the story that the Russians sent 60 cash transfers to the embassy in Washington through Citibank <laughs> with, City Bank. with the notation... For 2016 election,
2: yeah, <laughs> exactly. XOXO. I think that's XO. what you call hiding in yeah. plain sight. Yes, exactly.
1: Uh, and I mean, what else? Is, what else is the new, the new
2: stuff? But well, I mean, that, yeah. That, that yeah, that Trump might have been asking Sessions to appoint a special prosecutor in exchange for keeping his job. Um, I mean, Trump
1: did ask him that, right? And, and, and,
2: and, but that that itself is witness tampering, or. No, sorry, the Papadopoulos. Thing. So many things are confusing. Well, there is, might be a witness tampering it, charge a due to do with Papadopoulos.
1: political of, of, of prosecution. I mean, for yeah. Trump to even make that suggestion yeah. that his political opponent should be prosecuted... That's when we get into banana Republic territory. a ridiculous... It's a ridiculous scenario. You don't and, think she
2: killed Vince Foster?
1: <laughs> and it's not something... <laughs> you don't need a special prosecutor to identify someone who ran for president before. I mean, she doesn't... The idea of a special prosecutor right. is you have to take someone out of the line of political pressure. Right. Hillary, the Justice Department, if it wants to investigate Hillary Clinton, has reason to investigate her, can investigate her. But yeah. never mind. What's, what do you think matters of all this? I mean, as, as you look at this, you know, where is... If this story, the Russia story, is born out, yeah which are going to be the hot leads
2: i mean they're okay so in this hopefully near-term future, there is going to be an incredibly, extraordinarily researched document called the Mueller Report, which is going to tell us the answers to all these questions. So, in some ways, yeah, when can we read that? Yeah, I know exactly. Um, Before yeah. the election, they keep pushing back the pub date. I don't <laughs> so get it's it. It's like
3: the winds of winter winter. <laughs> yeah, totally. <All> right. <laughs>
2: totally. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have. It. <laughs> yeah.
3: Shout out the song of ice and fire. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but so. Um, but so, you know, in some ways we're all trying... And, it, and it's, a, it's not a leaky team down there. So we're not learning much from the skiffs where they, you know, are processing incredible amounts you, of... Skiffs? Do you know what the skiffs are? <laughs> Does everyone know what the skiffs are? <gasps> yeah, the skiffs are for the real obsessives. They're the... Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, why do I know this? Okay, there uh, it's a it's a it's an archaeological, I mean a uh, architectural <laughs> structure. Are these buildings that are completely like no Wi-Fi can escape them. They're like black holes, and they're what Mueller and his team works in. It's just like a level of titanium, You know,
4: yeah, yeah.
2: Stonehenge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, right, right, a regular room in the night. exactly, um, right. And uh, anyway, their walls are ten foot thick, and so on. And they. Um, and they also, well, well, they can also withstand bombs and whatever. So anyway, they keep building more and more of them. And some of the Trump-Russia uh, Trump obsessives will say, like, the helicopter spotted an extension built to the skiff, which means, like, the investigation. is. Like, anyway, there's a podcast called The Skiff if you really want to get into it. Um, <laughs> really? But, uh, yeah, I think it's SCIFCast. I'm not kidding. Um, but in any case, Very derivative. Yeah, they are yeah. doing work there that we, you know, obviously can only guess about There have been, some people have suspected leaks there. There have been no leaks there. Um, So in some ways, we're just feeling around at something that will ultimately be told to us in Technicolor. Um, At the same time, I think, and I hope Trumpcast has done some of this, Obviously, there are great investigative journalists working on it. There are people who can give context, especially from the side of Russia, Turkey, the Saudis. You know, we've, Jacob, from the very beginning, got Anne Applebaum, Bill Browder, uh, Ben Wittes, um, people to sort of speak to the larger context. Um, And what I think is really starting to come into relief with the Paradise Papers and with, um, you know, sort of, a new analysis after the arrest of Paul Manafort of what money laundering is, is a really like a sense of how billionaires move money and don't pay taxes. And that also being a chief feature of making dirty money clean is basically, you know, what the Magnitsky Act is designed to prevent. The Magnitsky Act, to listeners of the podcast, is very familiar, but, you know, it's the thing that, keeps Putin's blood money from um, finding a home here in the United States. So, like, if for specific human rights abusers cannot put their money in the United States... um, Cannot
1: buy apartments in Trump Tower anymore. Can't buy
2: apartments in Trump Tower anymore, exactly. Um, And, um, you know, and it drives Putin crazy because part of what the, like, shady demimond of banking... Owes to the United States is an opportunity to like get clean and like get in circulation, and you can spend it. And you know, and um, you know, I really, you guys, that I thought that Adam Davidson interview you did, Jacob, was just so good at getting in the details. It's a seven trillion dollar business money laundering. I mean, it's gigantic, and then you start to think, and this is where I think it bears on the Russian investigation oh, that's what this world of, like, not quite bankers who have tens of millions of dollars that are like Paul Manafort are doing when they broker weird deals, you know, Ukrainian blood money, then he buys a ton of, uh, you know, what like to breeze rugs and suits to launder the money you know million a million dollars almost in what at a a place that seemed like abc carpet like that is how <laughs> these guys but have out been, a few zeros but <laughs> out a few zeros that is how these guys have been living for a long time and i didn't i just had no idea there were so many of them and i had no idea i mean the paradise papers is just this trove of just, you know, billionaires and what did he he call them, like higher-end millionaires? Um, uh, um, So I feel like getting that larger context, as Mueller fills in the smaller details, is really interesting. I mean... But a lot of
1: this is going to hinge on whether they can flip, say, a Flynn.
2: So you want to get right into the weeds, yes. I mean,
1: you you know, at the end of the day, to, to bring a case you have to have a witness. Right. And you need a high-level witness. Right. And I don't think it's going to be Jared. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> Papadopoulos seems, I mean... He's, he's given he's us a lot. He's working for them, but right. he was pretty low-level as one of these right. weird characters. But Flynn. Flynn was the National Security Advisor, and this story that they were uh, had this kind of... Uh, privatized rendition scheme, which yeah. is completely insane. Yep. Um, but that's, you know, it, l- it looked a little bit like, I think this was Preet Bharara's th- theory. Yeah. They're they're showing him what they got. Yep. And it's like, you want to work with us or you want to stand trial? Stand and they're putting so what,
2: pressure yeah.
5: on, on, on Flynn's son. I mean, right. that's the pressure point with Flynn, right?
2: He's a great guy. I mean, he's another junior yeah. that we all really right, right, love right, and respect. Right. I mean, I think...
3: Um, so, I think it's worth you asked you, you began this conversation Jacob by asking like which of all these facts is going to is going to matter and i think it's just i think it's worth saying that what we know publicly i think is is what people were thinking when we when the the word collusion got thrown out earlier in the year that's sort of it is very clear based on just public knowledge that the there are people within the trump administration actively talking to agents of the russian government to collect information to use in the election um, now, whether the question is like whether that's illegal or not, and like you know who knows, or I don't know, but you know maybe it is, maybe it isn't. So I think that's just worth saying that even if even if we learn nothing else, we're already kind of looking at one of the the biggest political scandals, potentially quite larger than Watergate, um, and it doesn't oh, feel yeah. like it mm-hmm. uh, yet. But I, I think that's where we are. Uh, but but the other thing, and I, I said this to to you guys uh, before we got started. Um, my kind of guiding light on all of this is no one is going to jail for Donald Trump.
2: Yeah, that, I found that very interesting.
3: No one is going to go to jail for Donald Trump. And so I expect
2: people <laughs> to flip. Because, but, but, but because I, George it, Papadopoulos, right, is the, is the first right. canary in the coal mine for this. But so, he was going to go to jail for Donald Trump. He had the black, blank check. He lied to the FBI. And then he was just like, I don't so want to no, go to jail I, for I, Donald I, Trump. I recently read
5: an article, <laughs> though, about... Um, it, was, it was somebody who had worked for Mueller at one point. And, and at the end of the article, he said, basically, that um, criminals, career criminals, are not going to flip. Like, because, like, a Manafort is not going to flip because he knows uh. that if he flips, those people are going to see his family, right? Like, the people, the, the Russians or, or, or whoever the right. big bad is, right? Not necessarily Trump, but the, the, the hand behind it all, right? Um, but that the lower like, people will. This is like will. narcos. You right, say. right, exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, they will come for your family. So right. it's like Manafort is not necessarily going to go to jail for Trump. Although
2: his daughter's already flipped on him, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, daughter right? So he, so he might flip and just cut yeah. the daughters
5: loose. I think the, 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 the big thing with all of this, though, and, and to go back to something that Jamel uh, brought up earlier, is that you know chaos is a ladder. And, and he has won. Putin has won. <laughs> he is the little finger yeah. of Game of Thrones playing right now. Yeah, yeah. Mean, but, like, like, but like, yeah, yeah, but yeah, But like, yeah. you know,
3: uh, spoiler alert. Uh,
5: <laughs> if you haven't uh, caught up with of throws <laughs> in this point, God.
3: that's on you. Right? <laughs> I mean, a little... Maybe little, we with, shouldn't ask you to little, stay. Little, <laughs> little, <laughs> little, we're going to hear about that. I didn't uh, say what happened to Littlefinger. <laughs> i just just little Littlefinger, you know,
5: got it. See, he's the one who brought it up. All right, but let's what take, I'm saying, yeah, though, yeah. what I'm saying is that chaos is a ladder and all... Putin needs is America to turn in on itself. All it needs yep. is for all these investigations happening. All it needs is for a president who begins to uh, get us into this isolationist mode, which weakens in NATO, which allows him to do, uh, which allows Putin to do whatever he wants to with those former Soviet states. Right. So that's what the big game yeah. is. Can and I He's give... already won in that in that aspect.
2: Can I? Can I, or do we have still a little minute on this, or not so much?
1: This will be right. the last word, and then I've got a then I've got a question for you you guys to take the last substantive comment okay
2: so i have been obsessed with ye- with yesterday's news it, it literally is yesterday's news in the sense that it's gone but it also happened yesterday which is the smashing of the keurig coffee machines <laughs> <laughs> so so this Keur- is-
1: keurig knocked
2: Keurig. Yeah. Keurig exactly. <laughs> oh my God <laughs> I want to end there, but I just have to make my point so're um, as we, knocked as we all know it um, uh, so yesterday, the hamilton sixty eight dashboard I refer to it all the time, securing democracy 's project of putting up the number you know the top ten hashtags pushed by bots has Boycott Keurig at maybe ten ten a.m. comes comes up as their number two hashtag after MAGA, which is always number one, and um, and then five videos of men all looking very similar in garages smashing coffee machines. Um, <laughs> comes up, and they actually are not ideological, like they, I, I don't know. My suspicion is they were each given a $1,000 on a coffee machine and told to smash it, and the videos were put up, because they don't actually mention Roy Moore and Hannity and so on. Okay, so those things pl- circulate on uh, online media, and and um, the hashtag is everywhere, boycott Carrick. So then we, like normal people or whatever, people formerly people on the left, now people that are normal at all, um, look at that and are like, wow, these people are so crazy. Keurig, boycotted Hannity, Hannity defended Roy Moore. Roy Moore is a child molester. These people are willing to destroy their expensive coffee machines because they love Roy Moore, the child molester. That is how weird the base is. NP- NPR, love NPR, but NPR does a story with exactly that. These base, This base is so exciting and interesting and we're so enthralled to them that we're gonna watch them wreck their coffee machines and then talk about how horrible they are and whatever. By the end of the day, Couric is back, walked back their thing. They're kind of in with Hannity again. Their stock price is gone. Everybody's frantic in a panic at Keurig. Anyone lost soul looking to join the base is like the base is more charismatic than ever. The, they, they hold the mainstream media in fear and trembling. And all, everyone on the left is just like, wow, they're all such idiots and insane and they're armed and they ruin their Keurig machines and they'll do anything. <laughs> and honestly, that is a Putin win that you can chronicle. Like he put that hashtag up first thing in the morning. We can't. Do that anymore. Like, and this is NPR. Like, people who should know better.
3: Can I just say we're, that if I were responsible for covering this story, it would simply be smash a Keurig machine, it's terrible. <laughs> I mean the coffee. Keurig coffee is well, bad. It's there There's Keurig also, is that. Wasteful. There was Sma- also that. Hey, you like, you like, you like Child Monsters? Smash a Keurig machine. You don't? Smash a Keurig machine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there was a All lot right. of jokes um, about we would love it if you guys have some coffee. questions
1: but while you maybe come up and, and gather your thoughts quick fun question for you guys <laughs> in this Russia scandal who's the dumbest player? I mean, there's been a, there's been a competition underway, right? I mean, if yeah. I get who's, to go
2: first, I yeah. it's just a bullseye for Carter Page. Just, I mean, the marionette <laughs> smile. I mean, you teed that up for me too easily. <laughs> but just the marionette smile, the being his own wiretap, like any, you know, just like constantly confessing. And there's actually some really, there's a name for a witness like him who gives who's cognitively impaired. Yeah. And <laughs> who... <laughs> I mean,
1: when he, when he start when he, in the Senate, in Intelligence Committee hearings when he bragged about having elite status on Delta?
2: Unbelievable. I kind of thought maybe there's, maybe there's an issue here. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. for Carter. Yeah, Page, Carter Page. Yep.
1: All right. Jamel?
3: Uh, America's greatest
1: fail son, Don Jr. Oh, <laughs>
3: uh, yeah. Now he's a, he's yeah. a I mean,
2: yeah. I mean...
1: <laughs> it's answering the DM from Julian it's Assange. It's answering
3: the DM from Julian Assange. There was a time a couple months ago when he just sort of like... Posted a bunch of emails on his account, like they vindicated him, and they did not. He just like <laughs> He's just so every. I feel like last year I had this conversation with a lot of people. Last year, it's like who's the dumbest Trump kid? Assuming, <laughs> assuming they're all dumb, who is the Job of the group? Right, the Joe <laughs> Bluth. Right. And at the time, it was like, well, Eric is obviously the Joe Bluth, but I think it's 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 John. It's Don. Don's the Joe yeah, Bluth. Yeah, yeah, He is the dumbest one, and. His role in the Russia scandal vindicates that completely. Again, America's greatest fail son. It's I think so,
2: it's Tiffany, Tiffany, a lot of space, Ivanka, <laughs> Eric, and Don Jr. Right? Yeah. No, 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 no. Okay. I, mean, I think
3: you got I mean, to look at this like the Bluth family, right? You got, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're all dumb, <laughs> but it's just varying degrees of it. So like. Like, uh, Ivanka's your, your Michael Bluth, like, you know, superficially not dumb, but in fact dumb. Um, uh, Rossi's character is like Tiffany and Eric. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then Don Jr.
4: You're, is, you're like looking down. <laughs>
1: so, all right, well, I'm going to give you, right. you, you know, we, uh, we haven't heard a lot from him lately, but, but. Don't forget about Seb Gorka.
2: Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, uh, you know, Gorka. No, no, there, yeah. Gorka. Is,
1: there is no wear your dad's Nazi medals to work day. Right? That's, not, that's not catching on. I mean, no. I,
2: I actually, I want to say a word in his defense. He accidentally said President Clinton, speaking of Hillary Clinton, everybody's terrifying grandmother, and I think he might have known something we don't <laughs> know. It's just like, but what about Paul I Manifort? think she's the rightful president. He yeah. thinks she's the rightful I mean, president. Yeah. Okay, Ma- Paul you're going to say... Well, I mean,
5: if you are doing money laundering, why would you then decide to run the campaign of the the possible president of the United States? Everybody's going to be looking at you. Like money laundering is something you do in the dark and you don't tell your friends. But suddenly... You're out and about, and you're the head of this campaign, and everybody's looking at you now. So it's like putting the spotlight on someone who wants to be in the shadows. That doesn't make sense to me. And he ripped
1: off an oligarch, right? I mean, that's not a longevity strategy. I mean, are had to give him money to invest, and he disappeared with that. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. probably for totally
3: He's 100% like an extra. He gets a god in uh, John (laughs) (laughs) got?
1: Who's got a question for us? I, uh, it's a little hard to see up here, but I'm hoping there's some microphones. It looks gonna, like yep, there, I see. Right? I'm going to encourage you to ask very uh, brief questions how that are I... questions.
3: Hey. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you you mentioned the uh, this weird extradition scheme that there's this long history with Fetullah Gulen yes. being in the U.S. Like, I sometimes wonder, like, how should we as sort of liberal humanists feel about Fethullah Gulen, who seems like he's sort of a moderate Islamist, that he wants to maybe advocate a, a version of politics that's sort of the equivalent of Christian democracy in Germany for, like, Islamic democracy. But, like, there's a weird cult of personality around him as well. And I'm not sure... So like, they, they, he's sort of been brought into the Trump story, and he's such an interesting character. And I wonder if you guys have <laughs> <Do> you, thoughts <laughs> like can you, Do you actually, actually yeah.
2: connect the dots on what Ben Wittes calls La Faire Turk? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I mean... The, or can you just uh, summarize? I'll give, I'll
1: give a little bit of background on Turk. I mean, this, was the, this is the guy that, that Flynn and his son were, according to this latest accusation, talking about kidnapping, who Erdogan... Uh, the, the Turkish president wants back for because he sees him as the center of this cabal behind the coup and everything else. The Gulenists, I've been to Turkey a couple of times. It's very hard to understand. I mean, the best I've been able to get a grip on it, the Gulenists are like the Mormons of Turkey, right? <laughs> they're, they're very clean cut. They're, they're great. They're very professional. They do everything really well. But there's this... They make people, they, they make, this is, not, uh, this is not a slur on Mormonism, but there is, this, there, <laughs> <laughs> there, is, the there is a religious mainstream around them that has not fully accepted them, right? I mean, the way that right. they're Christians who don't believe Mormons, they're Christians, the, there is suspicion they don't, about... They don't have their Mitt Romney yet. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> what they're up to. And um, it's, um, it's just, it's, it's this weird, it's about Turkish politics, it has nothing to do with American politics, um, and... You know, I, don't, I think it's such a conspiratorial culture that, political culture, that I don't think we're ever going to make sense out of it. We're just going to get the little piece of it we, we get.
2: But this could be, uh, Andrew Weissman could be using this to flip uh, to flip Flynn. I mean, it's like, yeah. it, it's, I mean, I don't know. I don't know do, anything about flipping a, witnesses, but I would say we have you on kidnapping. It would be like kind of a good way to get a plea, right? Yeah. I want to get as
1: many of these in as possible. So let's go to this side. We'll go back and forth.
5: I got two questions. No, um, just one. Just one.
1: Yeah.
5: I promise you, they're both good. Okay, but uh, <laughs> you guys talk about well, Mike Pence would be just as bad, if not worse. But I just don't think Mike Pence would be a dictator.
1: I mean, I don't. I don't fear we would have a burning of the Reichstag under Mike Pence. And look, I, I'd never in a million years, would want Pence, but... All right, so I'm going to let Virginia answer that because I think I'm she agrees P- with you.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Pence is not as bad or Pence is not certainly not worse person, and I kind of feel like I was there. I've just always been there, but I also think... Post impeachment, he'll have to serve out their, the shift. He'll have a lot of work to do rebuilding the party. And he'll, I think, go quietly. He's he's not an effective person. He wasn't effective in Indiana. He can't get anything done. All he cares about is the genocide of the unborn and his, like, pious smarminess. And he will... Um, oops, was that wrong? Um, and... He, I forget sometimes. No, you guys are pretty ready to go on that. Um, and I th- hopefully he'll just like, you know, clock out, turn off the lights and they'll disappear forever. I think, I, I, I mean, I think if he were an elected, if he were the elected president, the country would be in, like, you know, would be in a horrible place and he would have, uh, you know, a lot of leeway to like remake a conservative Christian, you know, but I, I, gulag.
5: I, I, I think when you say that though... Um, That is kind of like looking at the rules that we had, you know, a year and a half ago, right? And I I think that we've now seen that, like, the the Senate basically stole a Supreme Court seat, right? Like, they decided that they were just... They just were not playing anymore, right? And so like, I think that all the things, what, what Trump has done for America is it has proven to us that all the things that we thought were laws and rules were actually just traditions. And traditions can be ignored and pushed aside. So I think that if Mike Pence got in, uh, he would push to create that Christian idea of what America should be because I think that that's what he truly believes. Um, and so if he truly believes that, he has to go forward. The, the other side of that. Is and, and, and this is just me, you know, throwing out some ideas. But um, I think that the thing that drives the Republican leadership crazy about Trump is that they can't control him. Yeah, I think that Mike Pence is controllable in a way that Donald Trump isn't. And if Mike Pence is controllable in a way that Donald Trump isn't, then their legislative agenda can be pushed forward in a way that they it could never happen with Donald Trump. I'm not saying that, like you know, uh, he's as bad as Trump or, or, or anything of that nature. I'm just saying that, like, there's two different paths here. Uh, and if I'm a Democrat in the House or in the Senate, I'm thinking about those things. Yep. Next question.
2: Hi, I'm a student from the University of San Francisco, so really happy to be here. Um, I also do a podcast called Trump 101. so similar name there. <laughs> Appreciate it. Here, here's my question. Um, Virginia, I really like that you brought up how frustrating it is that a couple of bots can start a hashtag that starts a 24-hour news cycle on it. But my question is, what can Twitter be doing to stop that from happening?
1: There may be some people in the audience who can answer that question. But. Yeah, exactly, right, this is how Twitter hometown.
2: Um, I think that, I worry, I, may, I think I'm partisan on this. I, I prefer, with no good reason, the fast metabolism of Twitter to the like slow, depressed metabolism of Facebook. So I feel like it's a choice between leukemia and lupus. <laughs> like you're either like <laughs> immunodepressed or like overactive And so I've cleared off Facebook because you know, 200 million, 20% fraud accounts on Facebook. It's always in the margins of your experience on Facebook and people are slow to take it in. There's something in that like suburban UX look that and the proximity to your aunts and stuff that makes you <laughs> tired <laughs> and makes you like believe things you wouldn't believe. Twitter, on the other hand, you know, something comes up and every like someone I mean it's crazy how fast people move. You guys all know this, but they'll like have the perfect GIF and then they'll be like, this tweet hasn't aged well and they'll have something from Donald <laughs> Trump in twenty twelve. <2012, laughs> (laughs) And you just are like, how did this all happen so fast? And obviously, if you import bot cliche, if you use bot cliches the way uh, the NPR did, you know, people will be on you like a pack of wolves. Depending on you know how how much you you know follow, I'm finding bots easier to identify. And obviously, they take different forms. Just as a like buyer beware, if you're on Twitter, there are like certain nice self defense tactics that you know. I can talk to you about, but also securing democracy. Uh, Molly McHugh is really good on this. Following the people that like are trying to sort of just from the point of view of the consumer defend yourself. What can Twitter do? I mean, Twitter and Facebook are going to have to accept that they are going to take a cut in how in like what they say are their monthly active users because. Fra- on Facebook. Like, if that drives the stock price down, they still have to admit to it that they don't have 2 billion monthly active users. I mean, that is, like, just a huge sea change in how we see them. And Twitter's the same. And, I mean, first is just, like, making a clean breast of it, changing it on their sites, changing it in their, like, you know, quarterly reports, and taking their licks for that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... (laughs)
3: <laughs> my, my initial answer to that is, is nationalized Twitter. And I mean that quite seriously. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, America first to Twitter. Uh, to,
3: to recognize that Twitter and Facebook are, are part of the public infrastructure, just like, uh, just like the internet, just like railroads, just like electricity, and like use, like democratize them and take, take, take democratic accountability seriously. But that—that's probably not really in the offing. Um, so, realistically, I think what Twitter can do is a bunch of things. Like Virginia said, first be honest with itself that much of the activity it, on the on the platform is coming from bots, or if they are people, like you know, lots of activity from Nazis, and saying that we don't want that on our platform. That in fact, in fact, there's nothing. You know, there's this tension, right, that, you know, you, you want to respect free speech rights uh, uh, versus kind of protecting kind of like a a, a public commons. Um, but there's nothing about even sort of a, a near absolutist view of free speech rights that requires uh, a private company like Twitter, even a private one that is running this public commons to accommodate views and accommodate uh, entities that are demonstrably harmful to that public common. So I think Twitter has within its power to, and it both has with its power and should just begin to clean up the service of bots and of uh, hate groups and the like. But I think one very concrete thing Twitter could do is to take verification and essentially make it universal. Um, And to say that if you want to use this service to the fullest, you have to be verified. And being verified means um, uh, verifying your email address, your phone number, like verifying actual personal information. Blue checks for not, everyone, right? For everyone, yeah. Everyone gets a blue check, yeah. Or but, and, TSA pre-check,
2: yeah. like you really have to go for it. And, and if you like don't you, do that, yeah. then
3: Twitter, then Twitter is like a, is like nerfed, right? And you can't. It is like a less valuable platform for those who who don't do that. So that would be my. Uh, it goes. It goes in this order. Uh, uh, if not communism for Twitter, then. Um, than, you know, just, like, verification for everyone. Well, so or, or, like, total blue,
1: blue elitism, right, like, Augusta. You guys, yeah. you guys we got to get a few more. Okay, yeah.
4: Uh, first of all, big Trump
2: cast fan. Thank you. Uh, I, um, I'm really interested, though, and I think Al's point was really well taken about Gorsuch, and I think we talk a lot about Trump as a buffoon, but I think the cadre of people who've put him
4: up and are reaping so much benefit from it are reaping a lot
2: of benefit... And we're having a lot of negative impact. So I'm interested in hearing from each of you what's the worst thing that he's accomplished so far, whether it's deregulation, attack on abortion. I, I could go on and on, but I think too often this administration is cast as do nothing when there's a long term impact that needs to be discussed by brilliant people like yourselves. Thank you. Uh.
1: Well, and thank you for the kind words. I I mean, I'll I'll go first. I I think you know there has been an absence of major legislative accomplishments, um, but I agree with you that that doesn't mean he's done nothing. But I think what he's done is very broad. I think it has to do with tremendous damage to American political culture and the American political system. And he's he's spread he's spread distrust. He's spread you know every every kind of political harm almost that you can how permanent that is remains to be seen because something that's not a legal change can change back with a different kind of leadership i mean if we if Barack Obama was president again, you know, you could see that kind of damage possibly reversed very quickly. So I think it, it is important to not dismiss what he's done, but it's also important not to overestimate it.
2: I mean, the, yeah, the damage to the truth, the damage to the like values of democracy seem to, be the, seem to be the worst. But since you were asking about policy things, you know, he's put another fox in charge of the hen house with the FDA. And obviously the EPA and HUD. Um, you know, Ben Carson is a very intelligent, brilliant, <laughs> interestingly cognitively interesting person who has, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, undone a lot at HUD as I understand it in ways that have, um, you know, dampened their proactive initiatives. Which has happened also, obviously, with the you know in education. Um, and we so, say brain
1: surgeon, heal thyself. Brain surgeon, <laughs> heal, yes, exactly. Get in there with the scalpel
2: and make something happen, man. Um, but, um, you know, pulling out of the Paris Accords and also the damage to the AP- EPA are, I don't know, like we keep thinking that we're going to repair that stuff, that like Mueller, it's, I don't know, I don't know what it feels like letting up on the gas and the up on the clutch or whatever, but it just feels like, please, Mueller, bring this thing to a halt before because we can't right now concentrate on the, you know, on the destruction of the EPA or the destruction of the of HUD or the FDA or like you know, it's just like all coming too fast. But uh, yeah, I don't know how quickly those things will heal themselves.
1: You want a quick one, Javel?
3: Yeah, sure. I'm just going to say Gorsuch, um, yeah, and not just not just Gorsuch, but the federal judiciary in general, and I, you know, yeah. My um uh my my sort of worry here is that I think stealing a Supreme Court seat, hold, like refusing refusing to actually exercise the advising consent requirement to save a seat for a Republican president, essentially doing the same for all sorts of circuit and district court judges. I think there's a real case you can make that those let's just say Gorsuch is not. Is an illegitimate judge, and that should be removed. Um, I, I, I think that's a real, legitimate political case you can make. And so, part of the reason why I say why I, why I focus on the judgeships here isn't just because of these are lifetime appointments, a long-term impact. But I don't think it's going to be. I don't think. I don't. I don't think anyone's going to pursue that argument. I don't think anyone in in, in politics is going to make openly the case that you know we we have to kind of do a do over like in my in my in my perfect not perfect world but in what I would like to see is someone to say straight up that like the process that led to Gorsuch's nomination was illegitimate and that every decision that Gorsuch is deciding vote in needs to essentially be reconsidered that like that we, that this constitutes a crisis of the judicial system that we have to do something about. And it's precisely because I think that crisis is real and, and, and major that I think just simply, you know, that, is is the worst thing. And it's going to have the longest term impact on um, American governance going forward.
1: You've got the last quick question. Oh, great. Thank you. No. <laughs> well, thank Sorry. you. So, We're thank over time. Thank you so much for the discussion.
2: Uh, I also, as well as Ali, that asked a question uh, before me, also do a podcast about Trump. So uh, I really appreciate you guys doing this. It's important work. Um, my question has to do with a Russia investigation. I share uh as as probably a lot of many a lot of people here do that it's an important issue
1: obviously it's something we have to investigate but at what point do we become the people with the tinfoil hats on how do we not get into the realm of becoming conspiracy theorists um and and going after things that sometimes might be false as well I i think it's i think it's a good warning even more than a good question and i think the um The answer is you've got to not let what you want to believe determine what you what you do believe. And, uh, Mm. you know, I think, look, I think there are going to be articles of impeachment about Trump. And Jamel was making this point. I think there are very strong ones already around uh, corruption, conflict of interest and obstruction of justice. I'm not sure there'll be one about Russia. I mean, I think as, as bad and as stupid as their behavior was, it's still, it's still up in the air whether this was something that Trump was actively involved in. I don't think it needs... I think there's... A, I think it's a strong case without it. Um, but to me, the, the, the important point is the way he has tried to prevent an investigation, because only with a real investigation can we know. We have, we're not getting that real investigation in Congress because of the way the Republican Party is... Uh, deferring to him. And so that's the problem right now. But at the end of the day, you know, was there was there an impeachable crime committed there? I just don't think we know yet. Yeah.
3: I mean, I, I, I'm inclined to say that the Russian investigation is important, um, but that I think part of what might be encouraging um, conspiratorial views is the belief that it will lead to Trump's removal mm-hmm. and I just don't think that's going to happen um, I, I think that Trump will serve out his four years and if he's removed it will be through an election and that's it um, and so taking that view is one way to keep from getting into conspiratorial thinking, recognizing that nothing is going to just make Trump go away that the only thing that will make Trump go away is like the organized democratic activity of citizens
2: yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. unless you need a last do you want a last word or you
2: want? well I just I'll say one thing which is that you know one year ago our cu- country and our minds sustained a very painful insult and assault on it and the Brains have worked in many, many ways. Like you start, you know, you and we did a podcast about it. But one of the ways to try to like make the rough places plain in our brains has been this sort of proliferation of armchair Encyclopedia Browns trying to crack Trump Russia and getting increasingly paranoid sounding with like elaborate theories. Um, I I caution against it just as, like, a mental health practice because it doesn't doesn't have a good track record in past paranoid times in the United States of, like, engendering change or, you know, solving for yourself the, like, painful places in your brain. But I guess I recognize the impulse, you know. I mean, I've definitely gone down a few rabbit holes in thinking about Trump-Russia myself, I'll admit it. And I don't not follow Louise Mensch. I don't block her. Let's just say that. <laughs> um, anyway.
1: You don't believe her, I hope. <laughs> That's it for tonight's show. I want to thank Sean DiDomenico. <laughs> thank you. I want to thank Al Letson. I want to thank our producer, Jason DeLeone. I want to thank Kristen Holtz who put this event together for us. I want to thank the wonderful staff at the Norris Theater. And I want to thank all of you for being here. For Jamel Bowie from Virginia Heffernan, I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Drum (laughs) Down.
4: (laughs) I <laughs>